Hello, Raj. I started to say good morning, but it's evening for you. Are you 12 hours ahead of us? Hello, Alicia. Yeah, it is uh, 7.40 p.m. now here in, in India. So I think it's about 12 hours. Yeah. Okay. So good evening from India and good morning to everybody in the U.S. Thank you for joining us today. It is such a privilege to have you here. I, I, it really fills my heart. Um, Raj and I have been working together. We just recently, in the last five or six months, have been collaborating with another organization called Green Revolution. And Attila Shuba, who is the founder of that organization, will be speaking a little bit later today from, um, from Amsterdam. So Raj and I have not physically been in the same room yet, but uh, we've had many, many a call. And, um, and so I'm so grateful that you were able to join us today, Raj. I will just pass this over to you. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Alicia. First of all, uh, I was listening to your uh, introductory uh, comments about uh, How Many Voices Foundation, about what the words mean and uh, what uh, your vision, and it's also extraordinary. And I'm so thankful for uh, your leadership and uh, also for providing me the platform today to bring the voices of uh, the people from the global south, particularly the indigenous uh, communities at the front lines uh, in Northeast India. So I will quickly share my screen and uh, do let me know uh, once it's visible. Thank you. So first of all, let me wish everybody watching this a very happy Earth Day. Uh, of course, uh, all of us who are uh, at, in this fight to save our planet together for us every day is Earth Day. Uh, for all of us who are deeply connected to the land we inhabit, uh, every day is Earth Day. For all of us who work with biodiversity, uh, we know that every day is Earth Day. Uh, with this, I will start my uh, small presentation about what uh, I do and where I come from. So uh, my province is known as Assam. It's in the northeast of uh, India, uh, very close to Bhutan in the eastern Himalayan region. Uh, the land is very biodiverse and uh, we have a diversity of uh, wildlife habitats as well, including uh, extensive grasslands, river valleys, uh, the largest remaining lowland forest in India, uh, and uh, a rich density of uh, avian, uh, mammalian, and reptilian uh, biodiversity that is uh, uh, probably next only to what is found in the Amazon. Uh, so I grew up in a time of uh, civil unrest. Uh, my land was uh, uh, torn apart by uh, fights between the indigenous people and uh, people who were perceived to be uh, illegal immigrants, uh, people who had uh, crossed over from a neighboring country. Uh, and in those days, uh, they were simply known as infiltrators uh, because of the lack of uh, 
any other uh, definition. But now we might uh, as well say that uh, they they could have been the early climate uh, uh, refuses, and this happened in uh, the 1950s, starting in the 1950s, and it continued uh, to the to the 1970s when uh, and the 80s when this student-led movement against uh, infiltration from uh, the low-lying country of Bangladesh uh, actually happened. So this is uh, the period I grew up in. Uh, it was not uh, very settled, quite turbulent, and uh, I was taken back to those childhood years during the expedition I did uh, did a few uh, decades later in 2013 to Antarctica. Uh, that was a time I woke up to what was happening with climate change. Uh, although I had watched an inconvenient truth, I knew about climate uh, impact, but I, like most people, used to think that it is the problem that was being faced by polar bears or, uh, you know, uh, people in the developed countries that created something maybe, you know, which uh, we, we did not uh, uh, worry about. But uh, being at Antarctica, watching the remains of the Larsen B ice shelf, which, which had collapsed about 11 years earlier, at a time when not many people believed in um, climate change, by the way. Uh, so this large tabular iceberg on the left uh, you see is remains of that iceberg, which had collapsed 11 years earlier. and. Uh, it opened my eyes to what could happen to the ice shelves that were being, uh, you know, breaking away and holding up the ice sheets that cover much of the great continent. Uh, I learned about sea level rise. And at that very time, there was uh, this movement by the Pacific warriors representing 15 Pacific Island nations, uh, those indigenous communities at the front lines would be uh, inundated by rising sea levels before any other uh, peoples. Uh, their Pacific Warrior Day of Action was on the, the 2nd of March 2013. And my first act of climate uh, activism was to stand in solidarity with them from Antarctica. So being in this magical place not only uh, connected me to my childhood years of growing up in uh, you know a civil war like situation to what actually was possible in the future from rising uh, sea levels uh, displaced people conflicts uh, and it also made me an activist uh, if you were to google assam now you probably oh So you, you are still on the first, the, the introductory slide? Okay, I have to stop sharing. So yeah, we, we have a, uh, we're having some tech issues, Raj. Your slides yeah. were not moving. All right. Let me reshare now. See, this is part of that, um, indigenous wisdom for modern challenges. <laughs> we need to come up with something else instead of uh, these these uh, Zoom or StreamYard calls or something. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's true. Can you can you see it now? Okay. We cannot. I should have. Oh okay. now it's coming up. Okay. What it about the change? The first the first page is still up. Okay. All right. So yeah, that's okay, all I need to do. No, but uh, I I went back to the to the entire slide. Is is it still on slide uh, the full screen mode now? We can see we can see the um, the presentation. Do you have the you have the small slides on the side? Okay, so perfect. you're at the first okay. page at the moment. Okay, I will go with this. So this was the second slide, and uh, I was talking about uh, my province Assam. Uh, as you can see, the state is located uh, very close to Bhutan in the eastern eastern Himalayan region uh, in northeast India. Uh, the rhino, which uh, the great Indian rhinoceros, which is known as the pride of Assam, uh, actually quite looks uh, like the, the map of my state. Uh, this was the third slide when I was talking about uh, the student-led movement and the, uh, the the civil war like situation that had happened and this was a, a magazine cover during those days and uh, the iceberg and my first act of uh, climate activism for the pacific island warriors so i think uh, i will go on to the next slide and this represents the reality of assam so if you were to Google, uh, there are two things that people associate with Assam right away. One is floods, and the second is tea, uh, because we are a tea-producing region. Now, the Brahmaputra Valley of Assam is perhaps among the worst flood-affected uh, regions in the entire world. Uh, what you see here are people who have lived with these floods for decades, uh, they know the floods are coming every year, a couple of times. But these days, uh, in recent years, the intensity and frequency of floods have increased tremendously. Uh, one of the reasons is that the eastern Himalayas is warming uh, very fast. There has been changes in rainfall patterns, uh, glaciers are melting, uh, and all of that. But these pictures should give you an idea of how people live here. Uh, many people are forced to take shelter on makeshift uh, pathways on roadsides uh, or, or uh, camps that have been set up for the duration of the uh, floods. And after all these years of uh, governance, people still live on handouts. Uh, all that the you know civil society and administrative officials do is come and give them food packets. Uh, obviously, sanitation is very uh, rare here. Health is uh, a big challenge, and uh, but still people carry on their lives as if uh, you know that this is expected. Uh, there are no development aspirations uh, and. Uh, all they can think of is to survive the 
next wave of floods. And people have uh, developed uh, resilience. One of the things that uh, we talk about here is the uh, flood resistant paddy and other vegetables that the people have uh, cultivated. Uh, but all this is challenged when uh, the waves of floods increase or the uh, water levels uh, increase year after year. There are other impacts that people really do not uh, think about, like the loss of uh, uh, school days. Uh, most children do not go to school. And this is another example of uh, resilience, the missing community. Uh, that's M-I-S-I-N-G, missing community. They're a riparian community that uh, perhaps endures the most uh, waves, most amount of floods of all. Uh, so they live on these stilt houses and uh, they have all the supplies that could take them through uh, a couple of months of flooding. But when uh, this happens for extended periods of time or when this happens again and again, uh, they are unable to uh, feed their families at you know, two square meals a day. Um, uh, it also becomes a challenge because the infra infrastructure made of bamboo that uh, basically starts to rot uh, because of um, extended exposure to water. Uh, and uh, the children are not going to school. They uh, basically lose the education. But despite all that, the people seem to be quite happy. Uh, I spent a lot of time with uh, many of these communities. And... Uh, it's this is the reality i i do not think that uh, anybody in the you know uh, global north uh, would uh, believe that this is what it looks like now but uh, this is how people still live in this uh, time and when you talk about climate justice at the front lines when you talk about indigenous uh, climate action uh, this is the reality that we need the global north to look at uh, here across the global south this is one representative community but there are uh, hundreds of others living in the mountains in the coastal regions um, or in the interiors of india who are similarly exposed uh, to a variety of uh, uh, natural disasters aggravated by uh, climate change impacts including droughts, storms, landslides, people who live uh, uh, a very hand-to-mouth existence, either they're um, marginal farmers or manual, uh, you know, laborers or sell vegetables, but uh, these cl climate impacts are actually preventing them from earning a livelihood as well. And there are other factors, uh, and uh, one of the most uh, important ones is increase in conflicts. And we already talked about the human-human conflicts that we have endured in the past, but there has been a marked increase in human-wildlife conflicts. Uh, there are many examples, but let me just talk about elephants. Assam happens to be the state in India with the second most number of wild elephants, and the uh, most number of captive Asiatic uh, elephants. So 
most of the conflict, of course, is with the wild elephant herds that roam uh, across the state. They are not restricted to uh, the national parks and the protected areas. Uh, there are no boundaries to keep them there. Uh, we have created these reserves or protected areas, and we have marked them uh, as uh, you know national parks or wildlife sanctuaries. But for the elephants who have had the freedom to move around the entire landscape since eternity, uh, and only to find their habitat now being fragmented by a variety of reasons, including um, including uh, habitat you know fragmentation development activities uh, and and encroachment and all and more uh, more recently climate change uh, so it brings them into conflict with uh, a lot of people and uh, of all the elephant range countries assam has the most number of casualties maximum number of people are killed by elephants and Equally, a lot of elephants um, I kill, are killed due to human retaliation as well. So these increase in conflicts. One reason is that the primary food source for the elephants, they, although they eat about uh, 100 types of vegetation, leaves and fruits, but the staple food for them is grass. And the grasslands in the foothills have more or less been uh, totally replaced by invasive creepers and shrubs. Uh, and there are studies that show that uh, there is a marked proliferation of invasive species due to rising temperatures as well as uh, change in rainfall patterns. And this is something that is happening across uh, Assam. The vegetation change that is happening all over the Himalayan region, particularly in the eastern Himalayas, is not only catastrophic for the biodiversity, but it's also bringing larger mammals into conflict with uh, human populations around them. Uh, similarly, uh, elephants, uh, just like elephants, rhinos are uh, moving out of the protected areas, which makes them more vulnerable to poaching as well as the conflict with uh, people around the national parks. Um, in, in some cases, the vegetation has changed, the grasslands has disappeared. So the deer which feed on the grass have shifted to some other part of the park. But uh, the big cats like tigers and leopards, because they are very territorial, they are unable to follow uh, the prey, that is the deer, to another part of the park because there's a fight unto death between the uh, dominant male or dominant uh, uh, female tiger or leopard in that territory. Uh, and in many, in many instances, the loser in the fight is driven out and the first persons he meets are the indigenous prince forest dwellers. And, and again, there's a clash and uh, you know, people get killed, and so does uh, this uh, animals. So this increase in wildlife conflict is something that uh, really not uh, been focused upon. Uh, coming back to elephants, uh, I recently visited this uh, school near the Nameri National Park here in Assam, 
And uh, this added another dimension because uh, so many of the students here are losing school days because of elephant uh, depredation. Uh, somehow these elephant herds have taken a fancy to searching for uh, food stored in the schools. Uh, for those who are not aware, in India, the government has introduced a midday meal scheme. So students are fed lunch in the school uh, so that school attendance is increased and uh, dropouts are lessened. Uh, so here the school days are being lost because the elephants have uh, decided, you know, they come and uh, search for food and uh, they break open this, this door that you see on the left bottom with the barbed wire is where they keep their computers. And uh, this is the only protected room apparently because the elephants uh, are afraid of that barbed wire. Uh, across the state of Assam and in, in many of the elephant range states in the Northeast, uh, elephants are entering human settlements, raiding kitchens, granaries, uh, in search of food, salt, and even they have started to take a fancy to drinking rice beer that these people, indigenous communities make. So these conflicts are just increasing. Yeah, it's uh, uh, you know, there are videos where you can see the elephants getting drunk and then creating more problems. Uh, it, it's fun to see, but this, for the people who inhabit these uh, houses, you know, once the elephant eats their rice, they really go hungry or they'll go back to the forest and take bush meat or the forest, uh, you know, cut trees. So that increases their dependence on the forest. So it creates more problems for everybody. Now, let's quickly look at the larger picture in the uh, national context. So what are what are India's uh, risk factors? What makes us uh, among the top 10 most vulnerable countries to climate change? Number one is high agriculture dependence. Uh, many of the indigenous people we talk about are actually marginal farmers. So whereas the big uh, farmers, the landowners could possibly uh, uh, survive two or three years of drought. Most of the small marginal farmers uh, are forced to sell out and that uh, increases their debt. Many, many farmers have committed, uh, committed suicide in India in the last decade. The figure varies widely between uh, 40,000 to even more. Uh, but that's the reality. Uh, agriculture dependence is uh, a big, big factor. 700 million people depend on agriculture here. Uh, the second is the long coastline. And that means many communities that uh, live in these areas are exposed not only to the increased number of storms, but uh, flood water surges and salinization as sea levels rise. Uh, and also a decrease in productivity. Uh, many of these indigenous communities that inhabit these regions are uh, dependent on uh, fishing. And again, there are only marginal uh, fish, uh, fishermen. They do not operate big trawlers and they're not doing any commercial stuff. Uh, the, the guys who are doing 
big farming, uh, big uh, fish farms owners and who own this big uh, fishing trawlers probably would survive uh, uh, these challenges of uh, less uh, uh, catch, but uh, for the smaller marginal communities, it's a challenge to feed themselves uh, and uh, educate their children. Uh, already temperature is on the rise, uh, rainfall is decreasing, uh, and extreme weather events are becoming more common. And people at the front lines who contributed nothing to the emission of greenhouse gases find themselves being most affected and are also unable to do anything about it. You have seen how they still live. They do not have any development aspirations for them. Uh, it's a struggle just to survive and uh, find the next meal. Um, so for them, really, uh, net zero, uh, 2050 or 2070 has no meaning. What they need is now focus for adaptation, mitigation, and loss and damage, the three pillars of the Paris Agreement, and the funds need to start flowing. Um, otherwise, uh, this loss of biodiversity, loss of livelihoods, it's already killing the people, uh, their cultures, the traditions, and, and, and the knowledge that has made them sustainable to the environment, to the natural places around them that they inhabit for millennia before the creation of the sustainable development goals. And the projections are very uh, dire. Uh, you know, a lot of vegetation change is already happening. Uh, this Hindu Kush Himalaya assessment actually looks at uh, how mountain communities and uh, the people living in the foothills and in the entire uh, third pole, you know, the water towers of Asia, catchment area, how they're impacted. Uh, the consequences for um, Northeast India and the Eastern Himalayan region is really bad. We are looking at 95% loss of glaciers if warming continues at current rates. Um, and this region is already, you know, um, one of the fastest of warming uh, because of the uh, amplification effect of the snow here, um, similar to what we see in the polar regions. And even if we were to limit warming to 1.5 degree, still 64% of the glaciers will be lost. That means uh, more floods in the short term and uh, unbelievably for a water abundant region, we are also in the map of areas which are likely to see uh, water wars in the future. So, this is the reality and the, the biodiversity here includes the human diversity as well. This, is, this region is home uh, to over a hundred indigenous uh, communities, tribes, uh, people whose cultures are totally unique and reflect uh, the biodiversity of the uh, type of uh, habitat that, uh, you know, type of uh, forest that they inhabit uh, and the biodiversity uh, the birds and animals that live there as well. So the cultures, the song and dance, the music, the food, it's just incredible. I mean, it's something that the world doesn't know yet because the Northeast of India is not very well known, but uh, we take pride in our biodiversity and the diverse ethnic diversity and, and the culture that uh, 
all, all these people have. However, much of the traditional wisdom, traditional uh, knowledge has not been documented uh, because these are all passed on from generation to generation. Nothing is written down. Uh, so there is the very real threat of these being lost uh, in the face of uh, challenges, including uh, climate impacts and unplanned development measures. Now, uh, looking at the global assessment report uh, from the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services from two years back, uh, about 70% of the world's terrestrial and uh, uh, wild and domesticated biodiversity lies in areas that are managed, owned, or, or occupied by indigenous people and local communities. So it is vital that climate action and biodiversity conservation uh, would include the traditional knowledge, the, the opinions of these communities. Uh, people are now talking about nature-based solutions, but we definitely cannot have one universal system. Uh, in fact, now the conversation that we want to expand on is about community-led locally sustainable nature-based solutions that each of the 700 indigenous communities that India has will plan, execute, and monitor for themselves. What we need to do is to provide them the means, the resources uh, to scale them up. Um, yeah, sure. I'm just finishing. Uh, so. We, we, are, we are seeing hope uh, from the UNFCC. Uh, the Glasgow Pact allowed uh, 28 indigenous people to be nominated. And uh, finally, uh, I'll just come to my last slide. Uh, this is Mr. Jada Payang, the forest man of India. He single-handedly planted a forest in a barren sandbar for over 30 years. And it is now home to rhinos, tigers, and elephants. So the world is talking about restoration. And here we have in Assam itself, a man who has shown how it can be done. Since the 10 years he has he was discovered, he has been invited all over the world to share his experiences. He remains humble and rooted to the ground. And uh, he remains the best representative of indigenous cultures, traditional wisdom and knowledge. and. Uh, a lot of us here in India look up to him uh, as somebody who could ensure climate justice for the people. Thank you very much. So sorry, I'm, I'm muted over here. Um, I was saying that the gentleman you were just talking about, his story has been out there uh, internationally. And there are a number of other people who are doing similar things out there. You know, So one person can have a huge impact. And you reminded me that there's so many of us who, because this is not our rea reality, this is out, not our personal experience, we think we have time, we think, oh, it's just, you know, they're just talking nonsense out there. But these kind of climate crises have a huge impact on communities. So Raj, thank you again for joining with us this uh, today. <laughs>
And uh, I look forward to spending some more time with you with Green Revolution as well. Thank you, yeah, it's such a pleasure to share this uh, presentation with all the viewers. Yeah, uh, Mr. Paiyang also, by the way, belongs to the same missing community, the repatriated mm -hmm. community affected by floods. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you.